The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Well, the Reds and the Indians played this weekend, and the Reds took the first three games set, two games to one over the Indians, but... I was pretty happy with the way things came out for the Indians over their seven-game streak. The Reds, well, they continue to be in first place in the National League Central. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Alongside Blake Watson, we'll sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds and what they have done over the past week. Blake, good to have you along tonight. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, another good, good Monday to talk to you, especially after a... Reds series win over the Indians. <laughs> I was happier on Sunday than I was on Friday and Saturday. We'll get into that. But before we get into all that, uh, I want to take this time to um, really dedicate this broadcast tonight to my father who passed away a year ago to cancer. Just want to let everybody know that if you get the opportunity and this disease has touched your family in some way, form, or fashion, or your friends, um, just... If you would, just reach out and donate some money to the American Cancer Society. Just an outstanding organization. And if you would, just honor honor the memories of those that have been brought down by this treacher, treacherous disease uh, to that organization that helps out families and people that are going through it. So wanted to bring that up tonight. But Blake, as we talk about this weekend series, I know you were happy about some things, not happy about some things. I guess that's the way the game of baseball goes. I was probably more unhappy than you were about the series this weekend. Oh, I bet you were. Um, overall, I honestly think the Reds are just a little bit better of a ball club. Um, I think Cleveland's pitching is going to keep them in a ton of games, man. They're going to have a shot to win a ton of ball games. Um, but I think, you know, if you're David Bell and the Reds and you go into that series, you kind of – Looking at the probable starters, you kind of expect to not win against Shane Bieber on Sunday. So to take two of three, um, you're pretty happy. Um, I, th- I think there's no reason for the Reds to hang their head at all about about the performance against Cleveland this weekend. Well, I was interested to see how the re- the Indians were going to face up with the four-game set in Chicago against the White Sox and then three games down here in Cincinnati. And And in all honesty, I mean, if you would have told me that they would have won Three out of the seven games, I would have been happy with that. But the way it turned out, it was rather disappointing. I mean, the the Indians could have won uh, three out of the four in Chicago. Probably, in all honesty, Blake, I mean, if you look at it, they should have won two out of three in Cincinnati because that game Saturday, I felt Terry Francona just butchered. And that, that's the one thing that I, I'm extremely upset about is the fact that that they had – uh, a guy at first base in in Naylor that has not played first base this year. Now, yes, he's played first base in the past, but he's not played first base this year. And the only reason you've got Jake Bauer on this team is that he is a defensive expert at first base. That's the only reason that he is on this team because he can't hit. He's hitting below the Mendoza line. You saw him hit this weekend. He's treacherous at the plate. Terrible. And to not bring him in, I mean, for for example, Blake, they replaced 
they replaced Fran Mel Reyes in right field in that ninth inning to make sure that they got some defense there. But for whatever reason, they went brain dead on bringing Naylor out of the game at first base and putting in Jack Bowers, and that is eventually what cost them that ball game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, for sure, the the error, the the Bill Buckner type play by Naylor at first base was obviously a big one. Um, uh, I just heard, I was listening to the radio on, on my way home from work just a minute ago, and, you know, they talked about, you know, what good teams do, though, when you give them that opportunity. And I think the Reds are a pretty good team. You gave them the opportunity, and they knocked the door in. Yep. Um, you can't, you know, you can't play good teams, especially when you're probably not as talented top to bottom. You can't give them extra outs. You can't make that mistake and expect to win the ball game. Um, so yeah, I think I could nitpick some of the things, even on Saturday's games, game that the Reds won, that I'm like, what is David Bell doing? But overall, I think he managed a pretty good series. Um, the, the, the idea that I think it was the fifth or the sixth. It might have been the fifth where he let Sonny Gray hit with guys on and then he faces one batter in the next inning and he takes him out. Like, it, I just don't, that one was the one that's like, what are we doing? Because that just doesn't make sense. If you're going to take him out in the next inning, why is he swinging the bat? Um, it's, it's literally a wasted out. And Sonny Gray's a decent hitting pitcher. He's athletic, but. You know, you had Senzel on the bench. You had Moustakis on the bench during that that game. Um, and, and the bat should have been turned over to one of those two in that situation. The one thing he did do in that game that I actually did like is the fact that, you know, late in the game he brought Nick Senzel in to play third base. Um, I just like that he's being creative with, with what they're doing. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, in the past a manager probably doesn't do. Nick Senzel hasn't played third base. I don't think he's ever played third base at the big league level. He hasn't played it at all in three years. Um, but, you know, you, you see the opportunity. It's your best move, and you make it. So I, I like managers that are willing to push the envelope a little bit um, and, and try different things. And obviously, so far, it's working out for the Reds. You know, I, I liked the way Class A came in and was shutting the door on the Reds in that game on Saturday. But the way Bieber pitched on Sunday, you and I weren't able to watch that game. You may have... In the press box, I wasn't able to, but Bieber, 13 strikeouts. I mean, when you look at Bieber, Blake, he's, he set a record, a major league record now for most strikeouts in his first four starts. And he is just, if not the best pitcher in baseball right now, he is in the discussion in the top three. Well, not a doubt. He's on that short list for sure. Um, I would probably say Jacob DeGrom is probably the best pitcher in baseball. Um, but it's really, really close. Um, and, and that's, that's a good thing for the Indians. And he's still so young. What is he? 24, 25 years old. Yeah. So that they have the guy, um, they have the guy in place to kind of build that rotation around going forward. Um, and, and realistically, you know, maybe it's building your whole team around the pitching staff. They've definitely got some good young arms. We were talking during Saturday's game. I don't understand how Tristan McKenzie is so hard to hit. Um, <laughs> the velocity just isn't special. His breaking ball is fine. I know everything has a little bit of late movement, but he's up in the zone a ton. But, I mean, it works for him. So it, it was obviously tough to hit. The Reds are one of the best offenses in baseball, and he held them in check for, you know, six and some change. So yeah, it, it, it's not bad. It was good to see Class A uh, – 
uh, bounce back on Sunday. Um, but he, I mean, because he blew the save on Saturday, allowing the Reds to come back and get it. Now, was it all his fault? No, because of the error. But he did give up three hits in that and, and, and the run. Um, so he didn't pitch great, even though the run was unearned. Three hits for a, a closer is not something you want to see in an inning of work. Um, but that kid's definitely another one of those guys that's got a special arm, man. He could end up being really, really good. Um, but, you know, anytime you have a young guy in that type of role, there's going to be growing pains for sure. There are going to be games he goes out there and gets hit around. But there's going to be times, weeks and on end, where he's absolutely unhittable with the stuff that he can produce. So he, he's got, you know, the top end arm that really no one in the Reds bullpen has, which is, is, is really cool to see. Yeah. And when, when you look at this series, I mean, it was a couple of good ball clubs playing against each other. I thought the only pitcher that really had a downfall in the entire weekend was Logan Allen on Friday night when he got beat up in the third inning. I'll tell you one thing. When the Reds get going, it is hard to shut that offense down. Yeah, the, the, the offense, the length of the lineup is, is just really good right now, especially because Tucker Barnhart's hitting. Um, both guys in the catcher spot are hitting. Tyler Stevenson hit the walk-off on Saturday. Um, you know, the, if you if the Reds get offense out of the catching spot, um, that offense is going to be really, really tough to contain for, especially if they get in the playoffs for a long series. We're not likely to see what we saw last year where for, you know, 19 straight innings they couldn't score against. Um, score against the Atlanta Braves. So the offense is definitely better. And you got to think Moustakis didn't play in two of those games because he was sick, and he's one of their better offensive players. Right. So the, the Reds' offense, and and Eugenio Suarez just flat out isn't hitting. Um, so if, if those if he gets healthy, they start Suarez starts to hit, this offense has got a chance to be pretty scary. Yeah, and when, and when you look at what they've got coming up, I mean, right now they're 9-6, and six, the Reds are. They're in first place. In the National League Central, the Indians are eight and seven, and they're a game behind Kansas City in the American League Central, actually a game and a half. But I mean, we've only played 15 games, and you're getting a pretty good idea of what each team's strengths and weaknesses are so far. And right now, as far as the Indians are concerned, their strength is their pitching staff from top to bottom, from starters to relievers. That's the strength of this ball club. And Another strength is is their defense. Now, Rosario, I told you on Friday night, I love him in center field, but he's got to get an outfielder's arm. He's been playing five years at shortstop. This is his first soiree in center field, and it's a lot different throw, isn't it, Blake? Oh, for sure, and I saw you saw a lot of that early with, uh, with Billy Hamilton, too, when he first made the switch, and then he ended up becoming a plus-arm guy. Um, I like Rosario in center a lot, too. I still watching him swing. He's he's got a decent swing. I don't know what he's going to do long term as an offensive player. Um, and I mean nobody really does, but he's definitely uh, got a chance to be a plus defender in center field and a solid leadoff option for them for sure going forward. Um, some of those younger guys on the Indians are they can really play. It was nice to see Jose Ramirez play really well. I know they they really need him to hit. That's really. He's their one guy in the middle of that order that is a legitimate big league hitter for a long period of time. Probably Franmil Reyes too, but he's such a swing and miss guy that he, he's going to go through you know streaks where he doesn't look like he has a clue at the plate, and then he's going to have a week where he hits four home runs. Yeah. Um. So 
I think Jose Ramirez is the most important guy for them offensively. He's got to be that guy from a few years ago that hits 300 with 25 to 30 bombs um, playing a plus third base. I forgot how good of a defensive third baseman he was. Um, he, he can really pick it, man. He, I, I like Jose Ramirez a ton. He's one of my favorite non-reds in baseball. Yeah, and, and you know, you look at him, and I'm not going to compare him athletically to Joe Morgan, but physically, he's a lot like Joe Morgan was. Absolutely, and actually, I think he's a lot better athlete than people give him credit for. Stole a base over the weekend. Guys his size, built like him, you typically don't expect that, especially, you know, from a middle-of-the-order guy with some pop. You don't expect him to be a threat on the base paths. And he, and he still is, and he's not, you know, he's not old by any stretch of imagination, but he's not a, a spring chicken anymore either. Um, so to, to see him still have that level of athleticism, um, and the fact that he's, he's dynamic and the fact that he can play either corner outfield spot if you need him to, he can play second. I mean, he really was a shortstop when he first, you know, came to professional baseball. He was a shortstop. Now, I don't think he's a shortstop long term for anybody. Um, but I really, I love Jose Ramirez, man. I, I like the comparison to Joe Morgan. Obviously, you know, Joe Morgan's one of the greatest to ever play the game. But just stature-wise and the ability to create power from a small guy um, and still have the speed to steal some bases and play plus defense, it is kind of similar. You know, Jesse Winker uh, foul-tipped the ball yesterday. I'm not sure if you had a chance to go back and, and see the video of it. Uh, I find it kind of interesting that Major League Baseball will not allow that to be a video review type of play. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why anything's not video reviewable. Um, everything, should, like the way the games are covered nowadays, it's, it's crazy that everything isn't a reviewable play outside of balls and strikes. Um, and even sometimes, you know, if, if the wrong guy's behind the plate, yeah. you probably want strikes to be too. Um, uh, Angel Hernandez. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> CV Buckner. Yeah, it, right. It's, I, I did not see the play, but I it, think it's crazy that anything that you can, like, could theoretically be reviewable isn't. It's nuts. On the Jesse Winker front, though, that kid is flat out raking. Yeah. I love watching him hit, man. Yeah. I mean, I, and I was told a long time ago that Jesse Winker is a National League batting champion in the making. Without a doubt. I think he's – I remember when he was coming up, people basically compared him to, like, the perfect mix between what Jay Bruce was and what Joey Votto was as minor leaguers. Like, he's got the, the batting average of, of uh, Votto early in his career, and he's got some pop, too, like Bruce did. Um, I, I love – Jesse Winker. I think I honestly think he's the Reds' best offensive player on a team with Nick Castellanos and Joey Votto, who's unconscious right now, um, and you know Suarez and Mustakis, and uh, on a team with legitimate big league hitters, he might be the best one. Yeah, you know it's funny. I went off the deep end on Votto last week, and now all of a sudden it's like he listened to the show. He's starting to hit the baseball. Yeah, he's. He, it's, but the thing is, he's, the, the approach is the exact same as it was in the beginning of the season. He is attacking early in counts. He's hitting the ball hard. It's just starting to fall. I mean, he was down under around 100 a week ago. Now he's hit 267. He's hit three home runs in a week, driven in 10. 
Um, I, I think if this, if we get the Joey Votto the rest of the year that we've gotten the last week, I think the problem is, is people are so used to Joey Votto just being, I mean, you know, his nickname is Cincinnati's Votto-matic. And he's not that guy anymore, but if he can be a guy that's 270, hit 25 to 30 home runs, drive in 80, I think you've got to be pretty friggin' happy with that guy at the end of the year. And if that's, that's what he does, again, the Reds are a really deep lineup. Well, you brought up the name Jay Bruce. And, of course, Jay Bruce played for both the Reds and the Indians. And he just announced his retirement over the weekend after 14 years in the major leagues. He was a bench player for the Yankees, and he just decided that enough was enough over the past few days. Without naming the division-winning home run that Jay Bruce hit, what was it, back in 2013? Uh, without that one, go ahead. It was 2010. 2010, okay. Without that memory, tell me about your best Jay Bruce memory as a member of the Reds, and then I'll tell you mine with the Indians. It's probably his, um, the start to his career. I think he went like seven for his first nine, had a bunch of RBIs, and it was like, holy crap, for once a guy with all this promise in the minor league gets here and is the guy we thought he could be. I think Jay Bruce is another one of those guys while he was a red that was another one of those ones that was a lightning rod for fans because he was so highly touted. They expected him to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. And it's like, come on guys. He's, he, he ended up having a very, very good major league career. Um, you know, you said what, 13 or 14 years. Yep. And not many guys stick for that long and, and it was well earned and he played the game the right way, man. He worked his tail off. He was always there. He was always playing right field. He was a very good defender, had an absolute cannon of an arm, just struck out too much, and that's just the way it was. Um, he was so streaky, but when he was good, God bless you, you couldn't get him out. Um, there would be months where he'd carry that offense. Even on times when they were really good, he was he, he was a fun guy to watch. And one of my first guys that like I really followed as a minor leaguer, and watched him come up and become, you know, a pseudo star for the Reds. He was never a real star. He was always a legit, really good middle of the order bat. Um, uh, Jay Bruce will be missed. I really wish he would have signed a one day contract and retired as a Red, though. Yeah, and, and you know, the the Indians picked him up. I believe it was the 2018 season, and at, in a trade day, you know, the the last trade day deal, and put him in right field and. You know, he was fun to watch, but my favorite Jay Bruce memory was when he got the base hit to extend the winning streak to 22 games. And, I mean, he became a Cleveland Indian at that point in time. I'm shocked that the Indians didn't try to re-sign him at the end of the year, but then again, when it comes to money, the Indians aren't going to sign anybody. I mean, let's just call it the way it is. And, you know, Jay Bruce, as you said, was a pro's pro. He never gave you any trouble, never caused any locker room chaos, and he was just a guy that went out there every single day and did his job. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, he just showed up and played and never questioned managers, never complained about playing time, never complained about umpire. Like he was just, like you said, a consummate professional. Were you surprised that Wade Miley got tossed on that winker foul tip? 
no, I didn't even see it actually. Um, <laughs> I'm never Wade Miley's another one of those fiery guys. I like that the Reds are willing to to stick their necks out and argue with each other. After that win on Saturday, Jesse Winker was quoted as saying, "This is the most fun clubhouse I've ever been in in my life," and that's what I like, and I think that's why they're winning. So the fact that they're fighting and, and they have that in them is, is exciting for me. Yeah, I mean they're they're an exciting ball club to watch, and and that that is absolutely there's no doubt about it. I mean, what like I said, when their offense gets rolling, their offense gets rolling. And it, it's hard to shut them down once they get two or three hits in a row because they could just go, especially on Saturday when they, or on Friday night, excuse me, when they, uh, scored the seven runs, didn't have anybody out in the third inning. Yeah, I mean, they have a chance, uh, to be special offensively. They can put monster numbers up in a hurry on you. They've done it a couple times this year. And it goes back to what I've been saying since we started the, the show today. It's it's just the length and depth of the lineup. Um, you got guys hitting in seven and eight holes that could hit higher on a lot of other teams in Senzel, India, Tucker, and uh, Tyler Stevenson. If those dudes hit, man, this 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 lineup is scary. The one thing that is that we haven't talked about either. Is it was a really good sign for the Reds over the weekend was a positive start by Sonny Gray. I think, you know, obviously we all expected him to be what he was a year ago, but he hadn't thrown in a game yet. Um, I, I think it was a definite positive sign, of the, the outing that he had. The one negative, though, was Michael Lorenzen went for the 60-day disabled list over the weekend. So that's going to hurt them going forward. Yeah, that that is going to be a hole in the starting rotation. What are they going to do to try to fill that? I, I think it's going to be Jeff Hoffman. Um uh, I I could argue that the guy, you know, Jeff Hoffman's pitched really well so far this year. I could argue that you probably, T.J. Anton should be starting. Um, that dude is devastating. He has been one of, you know, the, the biggest weapons in a bullpen for now two years almost. Um, and he wants to start. I, I understand why he's not starting. He can have a bigger impact on more games. But if, if Jeff Hoffman begins to struggle, I think that might happen. He's thrown four innings in, in, a, in an outing. He's thrown 70, 80 pitches. He wouldn't take long to lengthen out. Um, I'm not sure what they would do as far as if, if Hoffman struggles as far as bringing up a guy from the minors. There's a lot of positive buzz about Nick Lodolo. Um, I don't think he's ready to pitch the big league level yet, at least not consistently. Um, you know, if it's a spot start here or there, I think I'd be okay with that. But I don't think that that'll be the long-term answer. I think if it's a long-term thing, you might see them go to TJ Anton. Well, a couple of the things I want to bring up on, on tonight's show, and they have to do with announcing. Have you heard that who the new Jeopardy guest host is going to be this summer? I haven't. Joe Buck. Oh, God. <laughs> Now I'm not a big Joe Buck fan. I mean, I will I will come right out and say that I'm not a big Joe Buck fan. But I got to be honest, Blake. I I think he might kill it on this. See, I, I actually like Joe Buck. Uh, I think he's a little bit hokey, um, but I think he, I think he's one of the better national play by play guys there are. Um, you know, I think we're spoiled here in Cincinnati. Cause I think we have 
you know, not necessarily the Reds, but I think we have one of the best play-by-play guys that gets no recognition in the country. I think Dan Horde is unbelievable. Um, I, you know, does Bengals, Bearcats basketball, Bearcats football. He's so good. Um, but, you know, Joe Bull, I, I actually like him. Um, and I think, you know, there is, there is something to be said though about him never turning down a paycheck because that dude will call anything. <laughs> He'll yeah. probably call him curling in the next Olympics. Yeah, he, he could be, but you know, I, he he doesn't take himself too seriously. And um, you know, I mean, I I found it kind of interesting, um, you know, that he would be when I when I heard he was going to be a guest host on Jeopardy, I thought, well, that that's going to be kind of crazy. But then again, he's the type of guy that probably could do a pretty good job of it. I mean, I, I remember back when Joe Garagiola used to host game shows, and he did a he did a good job of it. You know, Bob Euchre, not a lot of people remember, but Bob Euchre was the star of a TV show called Mr. Belvedere. Yeah, he was also a star on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson about 500 times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, he, he was outstanding. A little bit of a different personality. Like, I know Joe Buck does not take himself too seriously, but he's also not as openly funny as Bob Euchre. Um, I think, you know, more people would know Bob Euchre as, as, uh, what is, Doyle, what's his first name from, from Major League? Oh, Danny Doyle. Yeah. Uh, Danny Doyle, low and outside. But, yeah. A bit outside. But you know, I mean, um, I think more people know him as that than, than the, the Milwaukee Brewers play-by-play guy. So I, I, I love Bob Euchre. He's absolutely hilarious. But I mean, you know, Joe Buck has been on, and I can't remember the name now, the the TV show where the guy is the broadcaster, and and Joe Brock Buck Brockmeyer, yes. I mean, he's been on that a few times, and he was hilarious in that that job. Yeah, he, he he's definitely a funny guy. Um, and and for anyone listening who has not watched Brockmire, if you're a fan of funny things oh. that happen to be surrounded by baseball, watch Brockmire. It's hilarious. It is a train wreck a minute, and it's hilarious. I've um, got to watch the last season of that. It's so good. Um, Hank Azaria is so good yeah. as Brockmire. Um, but yeah, he, I think it's a good fit for Joe Buck. He's he's kind of hokey enough to be a game show host for sure. All right, now that takes me to the other side of the coin, and um, I, I have listened to the first 15 games now of the Reds, and Blake, I got to tell you, I do not like criticizing announcers. I really don't. Um, I I know how hard a job it is, and it it's hard to keep up with the action, uh, be fed all the information, but I've got to tell you, this this new TV guy that the Reds have, John Sadak, to me, Blake, he is one of the worst. He is. I I know you're not going to agree with that. I don't. I don't blame you. And I, you know, I just got to tell you, it's game fifteen, folks. I mean, they've played fifteen games. This is not game seven of the World Series yet, and every ball and strike is, you know, what I call just feigned enthusiasm and tone it down a little bit, dude. <laughs> it's, it's I, I, I disagree, and you know that. Yeah. But, um, 
I think part of the reason I disagree is because I was such a non-fan of Tom Brenneman. Um, I thought Tom Brenneman was atrocious. I think he does fine at football. I think he does fine as that, or did fine his career is basically over, but did fine as that, you know, that hired gun that showed up, do one game and get out. The fact that he was on the Reds broadcast for 162, unless he had a big Fox gig for football, um, I, I just wasn't a fan of Tom Brenneman. I think John Sadak's been fine. Fine is my best way to describe it. I don't, I don't love him, um, but I think I like him better than I like Tom. Um, but I think that that enthusiasm is part of just the overall way people are feeling about the Reds right now. And a lot of that is not necessarily because they're playing well. It's because of the way they're playing. They're playing the game with a high level of enthusiasm. So to me, it deserves to be called with a high level of enthusiasm because they're, you know, they're hustling out extra bases. They're doing little things and they're exciting to watch. I I can see where you would get carried away at times. Again, I don't talk bad about play-by-play guys except for the guy that we hired at Mount St. Joseph. Um, I talk bad about him a lot, but he, uh, because uh, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I love doing color. I love doing the, the, the being the, you know, the, the analyst or whatever. Yeah. Play-by-play is extremely difficult to do. Um, now, if John Sadak was the Reds radio announcer, I'd probably hate him. I, I like Tommy Thrall. I, I, I do. I think Tommy Thrall does a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, I, I think taking over for a absolute legend, Marty's one of the best to ever do it. Um, regardless of your of your personal opinions about him, whoever they are, the guy was a legitimate Hall of Famer. Um, you know, it sucks anytime I listen to the Reds now to not hear, and this one belongs to the Reds. Um, it, 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 it kind of hurts me not to hear that after a win. But I think Tommy Thrall is fantastic, and I think Sadak's okay. I'm not, again, not in love with it. I don't think he's great. But I do appreciate not having to listen to Tom every day. What, what do you think the, I mean, you've been around here a lot longer than I have. What was the general consensus of Tom Brenneman as the TV announcer? I think I'm actually in the minority. I don't think people loved him, but I don't think people disliked him like I do either. Um, I, my dislike from Tom Brennan was I don't think the guy knew anything about baseball. And that bothers me. Um, because if you're going to call, baseball for the you know the original franchise with fans that actually know the game um it's not like you're you know calling for the yankees who don't know jack about baseball um you're calling you're calling it for real baseball fans you got to know the game you got to understand situation you got to understand you know things that they could do and i think i think tom was he just tried too hard for me and he tried too hard to be his dad. Um, and that, that bothered me a little bit. I honestly think it too, John, as much as I love this dude, he's one of my all time favorites. I don't think Barry Larkin's doing him many favors either. I think Barry Larkin's been a struggle bust so far this year. I think he could be really good, but he's never done it before. Makes well, it really difficult to just jump on the microphone. Not everybody's a natural at doing a color analyst like I am. Um, <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my feeling about Barry Larkin. Uh, if you recall a few years ago, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks brought in Bob Brenly to do their color, and they basically brought him in because they wanted him close to the ball club 
to get used to the players just in case they had to change the manager, which they eventually did, and they brought in Brenly. And I've almost got the same feeling that maybe that's what the Reds are doing. If they feel like they've got to change managers in David Bell, they've got Barry Larkin, who's around the team. He'll get to know the players, their strengths, their weaknesses, and he'll be ready to take over. I think Barry Larkin would have done a better job doing that if he'd have just stayed like a roving minor league instructor and stayed as a on-field guy in the Reds organization, which is what he was doing prior to this. Um, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I don't. I don't think the Reds are even close to pulling the plug on David Bell. Um, for no, one, not right now. Me. No. Yeah, and. To me, if, if Barry Larkin wanted to be the manager of the Reds in a couple of years, he's taken the wrong route. He's probably be managing somewhere, um, whether that's in AAA or whatever. Um, he's that that's probably would have been a better move should they want him to be the manager going forward. That being said, David Bell, you know, gets fired at the end of the year. I wouldn't be shocked if Barry Larkin's the next manager either. Well, you know, you look at it though, Blake, and you look at the managers that have been hired recently. They are fresh managers. They are guys that have not managed at the minor league level. And I'm talking about Rocco Baldelli. I'm talking about David Ross in Chicago with the Cubs. You know, you, you've got guys like that. Dave Roberts didn't manage at the major, at any level before he took over the Dodgers. I mean, it, it's the way of, it's the wave right now in, in major league baseball that they're hiring guys that don't have any experience. It's, it's a mistake. Um, if you look at those guys, now Rocco Baldelli's been very good. Um, David Ross has not been. No. Um, so it's Dave Roberts has been really good, but look at the team he's got. I, I, I honestly think the, the manager at a major league level matters less than any other professional sport um, because, you know, I could honestly manage the Reds tomorrow. Um, now, I'm not qualified, but I could. It's not that difficult to write a lineup card and pick the first guy out of the bullpen, especially when you got a pitching coach like Derek Johnson, because he's running most of the pitching anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't like it. I want somebody, and like, I love young guys. I love the energy. I love things like that, but I, I just don't know. And I'm also not a huge believer in, you know, letting, just because a guy was a Hall of Fame player doesn't mean he's a Hall of Fame manager. It's typically not that way. Um, so I don't – I'm not a huge fan of that. But you're right. It, it is kind of a, a a new trend in baseball, but it's definitely had mixed results. Well, the final thing to bring up tonight, and I, I'm going to say it like I did yesterday on the air when we were doing the, the baseball game in Hamilton, I was remiss – I did not know that last Wednesday was Pete Rose's 80th birthday. Crazy, man, to think that man's 80 years old. Yeah. He, he came out with a statement on his birthday saying he's no longer going to live his life wondering if he's going to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, which I doubt knowing Pete. But um, it's crazy, man. He's still a name that will forever and always be revered in the Cincinnati area. Um he he was a special dude. In my brief interactions with Pete, I've actually never been a fan of him as a person. Um, we we you know when I was on a military base in, in Virginia and a huge huge fan. Obviously, I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati. Played on a lot of the same baseball fields he did as a kid. 
Um, and he didn't take the time out to talk to me as a person in the military and wanted to charge me for a, an autograph. I was, I was quite a bit taken aback by it. Um, to the point where he actually played growing up with my great grandfather, uh, or my grandfather, my dad's dad. He played some ball with him. He knew him well. And so I have a connection to him. Um, and he still was kind of a, a bit of a, a bit aloof toward me. And I was not a fan of that. Um, but then again, you can't discount what the dude did as a, as a baseball player. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. I mean, he, he's the, the consummate grinder, the consummate, he, you know, he, what you want every baseball player to be. Never stops hustling. It's, it's his old saying, walk through hell in a gasoline suit to play baseball. Yeah. And it, 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 he, he played like that every day. Obviously, I never got to see him play. Um, but I know how much he's revered talking to my dad. And I know you talked about your dad when, when we started this. And, again, sorry for your loss. Um, a couple weeks ago would have been my dad's 62nd birthday, April 8th. So we're both missing those guys right now. And talking about Pete Rose brings up some some positive memories of my father and him always telling me, you know, the Charlie Hustle stuff. And, you know, he just, it's just crazy, man, to think that that dude is 80 years old. Yeah. Joe Morgan's gone, and they asked him what he wanted for his birthday on some interview, and he said one more day with Joe. And that just tells you, regardless of my personal interactions with him, the kind of dude he is. Um, that's why his teammates loved him. That's why the city of Cincinnati loved him. Um, and he, you know, he will forever be that that immortal guy on a team full in a franchise that's you know full of immortal guys. Yep. You know my my. Uh, I guess my interaction with Pete Rose goes back to 1981 when the Cleveland Indians held the All-Star game that year. And Pete was a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, he was more than generous with his time with me. I got the opportunity. I was working for a radio station in Ashland, and I got the opportunity to sit down and talked to Pete, and I only did a, about a five, six-minute interview with him, but he sat down and, and sat there for about a half an hour and talked to me, and I said, you know, I didn't want to ask you this on tape, but the one question I've always wanted to ask you, Pete, is why did you leave Cincinnati? And he looked at me and he said, one word, money. And that was, I mean, that was his answer to that question, and um, I know at the time, and, and Chuck Murray and I talked about it on yesterday's broadcast, that, you know, the union puts a lot of pressure on these players now in baseball to take the highest offer, no matter what. They don't want any home count, hometown discounts. Um, they want the highest dollar for every player. And it, it began a long time ago, way before Pete, um, but that was the reason that Pete gave me was he left for money. Doesn't surprise me knowing that he charges twenty bucks for an autograph. (laughs) (laughs) They all do that. And in hindsight, we know that it was probably to cover gambling debts. Well, Um, you know, yeah, and and they all do that though. I mean, it's not just Pete. It's it's all the you know the, the one bad interaction or interaction I've had with um former Reds players, even former athletes, uh Johnny Bench. I grew up idolizing Johnny Bench. And when I was given the opportunity to interview Johnny a few years ago, I've still got the interview on tape. Um, 
He was not a very pleasant guy. It, it was like I was taking taking up too much of his time, and and um, I know he had several interviews scheduled for that day. It's like a movie star, you know, you you make the rounds on all the TV stations, and that's kind of what it was like. Um, but he was a guy that I was really disappointed in that wasn't wasn't more pleasant about it. That's a little surprising to hear. Yeah, I mean that that's that's the way it was. He especially didn't like the Pete Rose question. Does Pete deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Didn't like it. Didn't want to answer it. Didn't appreciate being asked. And I know I was not the only one that asked him that that day. Um, but nonetheless, hey, that's what happened. But, you know, this week, I guess uh, the Reds, they've got Arizona coming to town. Then they go to St. Louis to play the Cardinals again. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to see how they play against Arizona after struggling out there. Um, we know we talked a lot about how much they, you know, it's how difficult it is for our teams to go on the West Coast and play. Um, so getting them at home where they are seven and nine to start the year, which is unbelievable. Or seven of nine, seven and two, um, to start the year. Um, they've been absolutely dominant at Great American Ballpark. Um, so it'll be exciting to see what they do against Arizona. And then, you know, the, uh, we, we all tend to believe this, the Reds and the Cardinals, as the class of the National League Central. So to see that second matchup, get another start for Sonny Gray, um, see if this team continues to hit, man, I think I think it's going to be another good week for the Reds. Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, what they've got coming up, I was interested to see what they do in the last seven. Now I'm interested to see what they do in the next nine. They've got a nine-game homestand coming up, Blake. They play two games tomorrow night and Wednesday night with the White Sox at Progressive Field. And then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they've got the Yankees coming to town and then the Twins. So this ought to be a very interesting nine-game homestand for the Indians over the next nine days. It's going to be fun, and we'll talk about it again next Monday night, okay? Sounds good. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us. And be sure to join us again next Monday night at 7 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.